Children, can you wave at me, children? Can you wave? Put your hand wave. All right. All right. I want to tell you something. A little later in the service, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be thinking about it. Can we do that for me? I want you to think about, for you, when one of the longest weeks of your life is. Don't say it now, but I'll come back to you, and I'm going to ask you, okay? What one of the longest weeks of your life has been, your long life. What one of your longest weeks has been. I'll tell you, there was a long season in my life once when, about 10 years ago, when uh, we, our uh, family uh, began to settle into our home where we've been for the last several years. And um, I grew up, some of you know, the son of a plumber, but some of his uh, handy skills did not somehow transmit into my body life. And so I'm not as handy as I would like to be. And so the thought of having a home where I suddenly had all the responsibility was a little intimidating. And of course, nothing's going to go wrong, right, when you first move into a house. So uh, within a few weeks, it was a winter, not unlike our winter this past year. Rain, rain, rain. I mean, it just felt like it would never stop. And our house sits in a little floodplain, and all the homes, including ours, uh, all the, the drainage around the homes flow into a sump pump, and then it gets evacuated off of the property. And so, of course, within a few weeks of moving into the house, guess what breaks? Our sump pump. And I didn't even know what a sump pump was. I could hardly say the word, although I like saying it. Say it, sump pump. It's just, it's just fun to say. I, I hardly knew what it was, and I certainly didn't know what was wrong with it or how to fix it. And, of course, it went out at about 9 o'clock on a Friday night. Right? So there, there was nowhere to go and get another one, and had no backup supplies. So here I am, and uh, Susan and I worked uh, for, I think, a few hours to make sure our house did not drown. And sort of, praise the Lord, it didn't. And we're grateful. But a few weeks later, I'm sitting uh, next to my garage, and I hear a funny noise coming out of the garage. And I go in to investigate, and our hot water tank is failing. And it's leaking water all over the garage floor. I said, oh my goodness, what else could go wrong? And several other small things began to go wrong. Uh, all around the house, and I was beginning to feel kind of hopeless. Because I thought, what in the world? What have we done? <laughs> Can we return it? <laughs> it was it was really stressful for me. And I thought, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? It's crazy. And then... The, the, the rain went away. The clouds and all the gray skies disappeared. The sun came out for several weeks and everything began to grow. It was beautiful. And a weekend came along and it began to rain again. And I walked out. And I peeked out my front door and I looked at my driveway. And my driveway was covered in yellow liquid. And I said, oh my goodness. The paint is washing off of my house because this yellow liquid was the exact same color as our house paint. I couldn't believe it. I was utterly hopeless. I went out to investigate because I said, how in the world is the thing that's supposed to protect your home? How is it washing off of my home? And I realized that it was the pollen that had been blowing. Had settled into the cracks of our driveway unnoticed, but when the rains came, it lifted it up, and at my angle with the light, and it looked like it was just yellow paint. How stupid am I? <laughs> but I was pretty hopeless, and I didn't know quite where to turn. Have you ever felt hopeless in your life? I mean, just the season, maybe silly things, 
If you're like me, you like technology, but when technology stops working for you, you can feel rather hopeless. You, you may have a work deadline, and suddenly your computer stops, right? Or a school deadline, and, and well, if one thing you need stops working for you, it drives you crazy, you can feel hopeless. I, I read this morning that uh, social media, for those of you who woke up or rolled out of bed this morning, the first thing you wanted to do was open Instagram or Facebook or, or even shoot out a WhatsApp that apparently there was a global outage or something and uh, affected a lot of people, and I know some of you might have felt hopeless even this morning, disconnected from your social world. Perhaps, like our house, that I thought was literally washing down the drain, this investment that might have been the cornerstone for our retirement, was washing away. Maybe you felt hopeless with a particular investment that suddenly vanishes. Or you go to the doctor and you think you got some minor issue and you find out that it's something much more major and uh, you feel hopeless in that moment. We, uh, there was a, a story of a man who left uh, before the prison of Alcatraz was decommissioned as he was released from that prison after serving 15 years on the rock. He describes going out to, and watching all the cars whistling by and suddenly it struck him because he knew that the people in those cars had a destination to which they were going and he himself had nowhere to go. And he felt hopeless. Hopelessness. The Bible describes Hopelessness. In this way, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope that is not yet fulfilled, and if it lingers unfulfilled for too long, can make our hearts sick. And part of our life in Christ is learning where to look and how to look for hope. Hope that really lasts. Hope that lasts and is available in this life. Hope that carries us into our forever living. Here's what I hope you will take away with you this morning. It's pretty simple. It's up on the wall behind me. Is that when we are feeling hopeless, that we are to look to God, we are to wait for God, and we are to live unto God. And our hope will be renewed. In fact, the second part of that verse in Proverbs chapter 13, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Isn't that just right? Something you've waited for, something you've needed, something you've hoped for. And it hasn't come, and it hasn't come, and it hasn't come. And, and you feel demoralized, and, and you begin to feel heart sick. And then when it's finally fulfilled, you know, the, the joy that comes with that, and, and the renewed sense of future and purpose, and you rejoice. That's what Palm Sunday was about. Palm Sunday, that very first Palm Sunday, was about hope. And in fact, with the, the symbols of Jesus riding this donkey, it's kind of a ridiculous scene. Have you ever watched somebody ride a donkey? It's not very smooth. It's not this really cool, big war horse that you think, you know, smoothly galloping and, you know, feeling so chivalrous. Have you ever watched? Have you ever ridden a donkey? Have you ever seen somebody ride a donkey? It's ridiculous. It's it's you're don't know where you're going. So you got a donkey, and then you got people laying robes and their cloaks down on a pathway. That's kind of strange. And, and then you got these palm branches that our children so uh, beautifully carried in, waving. And it was like a first century parade. 
But it was not just a parade to celebrate opening day of baseball. This was a royal procession, is what Palm Sunday was about. It was a commemorating when, when Jesus got on the donkey, it was the same way that King Solomon, when, when he rode into Jerusalem to be coronated after David as the king of the Jews in that moment. That's exactly the way Solomon entered Jerusalem, and so Jesus comes in the same way. People taking their cloaks off. It was literally like laying out the red carpet for somebody really important coming and waving these palm branches. It was a, a picture of liberation in the first century. And coins were minted with uh, palm branches on it to describe something that was being set free. It's a royal procession and out of their mouths they were saying this word that is strange to our modern English ears. But it's Hosanna, God, save us. Hosanna, save us. Deliver us. It was a, a Psalm 118 that was uh, reiterated every time the Jewish people came together to celebrate the Passover. And they would remember Psalm 118. And they would say Hosanna because they were looking back at what God had done in the Exodus and the great movement of power when God set them free out of their captivity and put them on through new hope. For their future. But when they sang and, and remembered Psalm 118 and, and said the words Hosanna, they're also looking toward that future. And they're looking to that end moment when the David, the Davidic king would come and renew and restore and, and liberate the people. And so here you have that first Palm Sunday. Branches have been waved, liberated. It's Hosanna. God save us. We're laying out the red carpet and like Solomon rode so many generations before on a donkey into Jerusalem for his coronation. So they think Jesus now is coming for his coronation. Oh, hope deferred. It's no longer deferred. It is here and it is now. So they thought. They had a different idea of what that was going to be. But in less than a week, Jesus would be dead. In less than a week, many of the same voices that were welcoming Jesus, shouting Hosanna, would be the same voices crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. All of those hearts that were filled with hope and words springing from their lips about something new happening, it turns to hopelessness. We're reminded again, as we enter into this week before Easter, that the heart gets sick when hope is deferred. The heart becomes sick when there's a delay in it. One of the people we don't often talk about in the Easter story is Thomas. And I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm convinced, but I'm, I'm growing sympathetic over the years to Thomas. I like Thomas. Thomas is not, for me anymore, the whipping boy of the Easter story. Doubting Thomas. I think we see in the story of Thomas a lot of tenderness from Jesus. But what you have in Thomas is a man who is heart-sick because his hope has been deferred. His hope is delayed and he's waiting and waiting and waiting. Have you ever had a long week? Kids, tell me what for you has been a really long week in your life. Yeah? 
birthday. I know, it's crazy. It's like you wake up on Monday and it should be Friday. No, it's still Sunday. It hasn't even turned yet, it feels like. What else? Go ahead. Uh, I went to India and it was that first week. You went where? To India. To India. It was a long week. Yeah. To travel would be really long. Yeah. Yeah, sure. This makes sense strange, but it's a week when I'm off from work. A week when you're off from work feels really long. Feels really long. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> I can hear you. The week before school, I The week, I know. You're waiting for the last day of school, especially the year you're graduating. Uh, that could not come fast enough. I'm waiting right now for a vacation in the summer, and I can't wait because we're putting together a family reunion, and I'm so excited. It's not even the week before. These are like the longest months of my life. I need to see my sister again. It's been a long time. I want you to think about this. Thomas. Thomas had heard. He had been told by the other disciples that Jesus was now alive again. But he wasn't there when Jesus first showed up. And it took a whole week for him to actually see Jesus. I, I, I am probably convinced that I'm sure that this must have been the longest week on planet Earth. Do you imagine that? Thomas had been with Jesus for three years. Thomas was in the garden when Jesus was arrested. Thomas knew all that had happened. He knew about the crucifixion. He'd been some sort of distant observer. And now all the other disciples had an encounter with the risen Jesus, but Thomas wasn't there. And it took a week until he got to see Jesus. In John chapter 20, open your Bibles, would you? John chapter 20. He waited an entire week, I think the longest week in the Bible. Here's what it says in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, Thomas is referred to as the twin. That's what Didymus means. Thomas the twin, one of the twelve, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now let's pause. You ever heard the testimony of somebody? And you believe it's true for them, but you've not experienced it yourself? And so you're like, hmm. I don't know. I need to see it. I need to touch it. I've heard people talk about God working in their life, but I've not yet seen it in that same way. And so you reserve your evaluation. Thomas had been told by the other disciples, we've seen the Lord. And I love, this is part of what I love about Thomas. It's because if, if you think that the disciples were just so naive and so backward and simple that, that they were willing to jump at any sign of life. They so desperately wanted to believe that Jesus had come back to life that they would have believed anything. But not Thomas. Thomas needed a little extra evidence. Thomas needed an extra experience, a personal experience with the Lord. And so I'm so grateful that we have the Thomas story. 
Because it helps us know that, that these were not just some simpleton people ready to jump at anything that anybody would say. Thomas, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The others had seen the nail marks. The others had seen the scar on his side. Thomas also wanted to see and to know it could really be true. A week later, a week later, can you imagine? Man, I would have dying. I want to see this Jesus that you're telling me about. But I'm going to reserve judgment until I actually lay my own eyes on him and my real ears hear his voice. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Now picture the story, and then it's like he looks directly at Thomas, and he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I'm here. And I'm here for you, Thomas. It's real. It's real. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Perhaps the culminating verse of the entire Gospel of John. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who might such people be? I'm looking at <laughs> Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1. When the Bible describes how we have been born into a living hope. And then one of my favorite all-time Bible verses is that though we do not see Him, we believe in Him. And even though we don't see Him now, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Next week. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, Thomas has his hope restored. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. When we are wrapped in hopelessness, we are reminded to look to God. When we are faced with what seems to be a dead end, we are called to wait on God. When we uh, encounter and enter into a season that maybe is long in the coming, a fulfillment we are to be people who continue to live unto God. In Psalm 42, I'm going to end with this. We're reminded that just like the deer pants for streams of living water, the psalm poet says, so our soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? And at the end of Psalm 42, 
It says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. When we need hope renewed, we are to be people who turn to God. People who wait on God. And people who live our lives every day. Until that hope is fulfilled, we live our lives unto the living. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reminder of where our hope is. Because our hope is founded in the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is not founded in an idea. Our hope is not founded on some form of a utopian future. Our hope is founded in the historical fact of Jesus coming back to life from the dead. Thomas, for those of us who struggle, perhaps with doubt, you're not afraid of doubt, God. You welcome our doubts as we are true seekers and inquisitive people. So as we come with perhaps our doubts today, the questions that linger the curiosities as to why this, this thing I've needed in my life has not yet transpired and my heart has grown sick and my hope is waning. God, we pray that you would come and restore our hope. That you would help us to again today to set our hope in you. And we do that not just because Easter is some fancy tale that turned out really neat or had a happy ending. No, it's because... Jesus came back to life again. And as we look to his death, his resurrection, it fills us with hope, knowing that no matter how bad our situation might become, or how bad our, our life or trouble has gotten into, that because you are there, you've been raised from the dead, we're, we can have renewed hope in you. So I pray this, God, that you would restore those hearts this morning who are feeling hopeless, who are feeling at the end of their rope, who are feeling so frayed at their edges that they feel any moment the hole could tear right through their life. So I lift them up to you. And I pray that in this moment you would minister to them and you would speak over them and that you would remind them that it is true that you have risen from the dead. And because you have been raised from the dead, they can have hope both in this life right now and a situation that may be so painful and so troubling, you also provide hope for their forever life. So restore their hope. God, as our souls pant for you like a deer pants for water, we thank you that you are a God who, who come and you, you come and you, you fulfill that thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be satisfied. Thank you for satisfying the deepest hungers of our soul and the deepest thirsts of our soul. It comes through an encounter and a daily interaction with the living, resurrected person of Jesus. May we walk with him and in him every day of our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. We're going to sing one last song together this morning. And if perhaps
perhaps you don't know what it is to trust in Jesus with your whole heart, your whole life. And maybe you don't know what it is to really have hope. Really have hope in this life or hope for your future life. This is one of the reasons that I stand here in the front. If you'd like to begin a conversation, just come down. And we'll uh, begin a conversation that I think will be so beautiful. Thank you.